Hi, this is Ayo Shinaike. I go by he, him pronouns, and I'm the co-founder and CEO of Foodspace. My name is Kayla. I use she, her pronouns, and I'm the head of nutrition communication for Foodspace Tech. Before we get into the episode, listeners, please note that all views expressed in this podcast are personal and do not represent the position of our respected companies. Back to you, Kayla. I'm very excited to introduce Kathleen Ney, who uses she, her pronouns. And Kathleen is a public affairs and content specialist for Perfect Day, which is an alternative protein company harnessing fermentation to make animal-free dairy protein and products that have the real taste, texture, and nutrition of dairy produced sustainably and without the downsides of factory farming, lactose, hormones, or antibiotics. In her role at Perfect Day, Kathleen develops messaging and integrated marketing campaigns and writes art directs and activates content designed to educate the public about Perfect Day's mission, culture, and innovative products. Kathleen earned a dual master's at actually my alumni school, um, and Kathleen's master's is in agriculture, food, and environment, and urban and environmental policy and planning at Tufts University in Boston. They really like to give us some big, long degree names there. Go Tufts. Prior to her, go Tufts. <laughs> Prior to her graduate work, uh, Kathleen earned a bachelor's degree in fine art and photography and behavioral sciences. In her personal time, she likes to read, photograph farmer's market produce, love that, and watch Star Trek reruns. Kathleen lives in Oakland, California with her partner, Jordan, and their very opinionated senior cat, Emma. So welcome, Kathleen. Thank you so much for having me. And I had to uh, put Emma in a different room so that she wouldn't interrupt us this afternoon. Oh, yeah. I think we all have companion animals oh, in different rooms. Definitely. Right my cat, my cat or cat Fitz is probably in the other room right now. Uh meowing at something but he definitely I definitely had to close the door for this so excited oh yeah Ginny is with a peanut butter kong outside far away from me and whining whining by herself just thinking hmm. she's fine um but anyways someday we'll, we'll get to meet Emma I'm just so happy to finally have the chance to like e-meet you talk not over email not in LinkedIn um, and really get to explore your interests and your background and talk about perfect day because I think Fermented proteins is such a cool aspect of science and food, and I'm just, I'm super excited for that today. Um, so I guess to follow up on your lovely bio, can you tell us a little bit about um, what your favorite thing to snack on these days is? Oh, the snacks. Yeah. Yeah. So go ahead. Are, go ahead. Am I going first? Yes. I, I Normally I would go first or I would go first, but I really, I think that you have something great because I, I think I follow you on Instagram and I see you've got excellent taste in food. Oh, well, thank you. Um, so this is a really fun question. So I know from a previous episode that Io loves chips and salsa. <laughs> oh, that's my favorite from back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I have a, a little twist on chips and salsa that I've been eating a lot. So it takes a little bit of uh, background explanation, but um a very good friend of mine, actually also from Tufts, she owns and operates a single origin chili pepper farm, uh, just a little north of where I live in Oakland called Boonville Barn Collective. Boonville Barn. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah. So they're located in, in Boonville, California, which is why they're called Boonville Barn Collective. <laughs> Lifelong California resident, never heard of that town. Also <laughs> living in the Bay Area currently, so I will be checking that out. You definitely, definitely should. Um, so they they sell some other things besides chili peppers, but their main claim to fame is this Basque chili uh, called Esplet. And so okay. since the pandemic, I know that they've tried to like offer some, d diversify the, the kinds of things that they offer and work with other, um, other groups. So I know that they've collaborated recently with a 
a farm in Michigan to make like a spiced strawberry preserve, which sounds really Whoa. good. Haven't tried yeah. it yet. But um, anyway, another thing that they've started to offer are these whole dried chilies. So last weekend or last, it was sometime before my, my vacation, um, I picked up some of their whole dried ancho and cascabel peppers. Mm. And I was like, I don't really know what to do with these. But fortunately, <laughs> they, they have recipes on their website. So I figured out how to make a dried chili salsa. Oh, my gosh. Wow. It's, it's very good. Um, I've been that eating it awesome. on chips and tamales. Um, but one of my favorite snacks in general that, that I've started doing with this salsa now is something that I learned from my husband's family, which is uh, cottage cheese and chips. Hmm. Wow, that is a bold snack. It's, mm -hmm. a, it's a bold snack. But I recently saw my father-in-law combine salsa and cottage cheese. And, oh, okay. and eat it that's with some texture that's some texture yeah. interesting interesting texture preferences i mean i love cottage cheese i know that it's not for everybody but like it's just like creamy and peppery and then with a little bit of like that corn chip crunch it's so good so that's that's what i've been snacking on recently that's awesome i also love how people who like cottage cheese feel the need to like justify it to other people like i know that you that most people don't like it but this is something i enjoy eating no shame here at all. Never any food shame. So um, I love how in-depth that snack chat was for you. Um, I feel like mine's going to be a little bit um, maybe weaker in comparison. Uh, there's no cottage cheese in my household. Uh, but I was wondering, does coffee count as a snack? Because I feel like lately um, I have been consuming. Io is shaking his head over Zoom. But I, feel <laughs> like I have been consuming more coffee than anything else lately. Um so that's that was my snack chat, but I also said that doesn't count. So no, I mean, if you're gonna go into coffee, I want to hear a little bit about the roast, the region, the area, the smell. That the tell me a little bit more about it. Let's go. Into um, this. I actually just picked up a new bag yesterday, uh, so I don't have my normal. But my normal go-to is Leftist Espresso, which is up from upstate New York. It's nice. a roaster out there. Yeah, so. I would say definitely check that out. Um, it's also just, I love seeing the bag and saying that name out loud and getting to say that. Um, but really, I think lately I have been, I've been enjoying the post Passover snacks. I think last time we recorded, it was still Passover. So um, I've been really into a lot of bread lately. And um, my partner actually recently made homemade salsa as well. So, uh, hmm. but I've been eating it with like cube, cucumbers and carrots because we don't have any chips. Um, so originally oh I had, was making my own tortilla chips at home um, and then we ran out of tortillas. So coffee, chips and salsa, big themes here. Um, nice. Yeah. What, what are you snacking on these days, Ayo? Oh my gosh. Now I'm thinking about salsa. I'm like looking to my <laughs> right and I'm like wondering if I have any in the fridge right now. But uh, that actually rule. sounds no so No Ayo good. snacking on the podcast. Yeah, that seems to be a problem in every single meeting. And I'm like realizing <laughs> that I shouldn't be like chewing right in front of the microphone every time I'm like having a call. But uh, that's another We do story. work in the food space, so. Exactly. It gives me a pass every once in a while. All right, but, so what are you um, eating? So what I've been eating lately, actually, is it's actually funny. There's Pirate's Booty. It's uh, uh, veggie chips, and I love veggie chips. It's like me looking at it, I'm like, there's all these different colors. It's interesting to eat. It makes a lot of crunching sounds, which I actually love doing. But, um, yeah, I've been eating a lot of those uh, veggie chips, which I've had the ones, the Pirate Booty ones. I've had the Costco ones. Definitely prefer the Costco ones, but a little farther away right now in New York City. 
Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, a lot of veggie chips, and it's just a perfect meal when, or a perfect snack when I'm just like chilling or working, and yeah, love it. You're you're a savory person, but I feel like I've seen you eating some sweet stuff. Because mm. didn't you didn't you mention to me that you've been eating some brownies lately? I mean, I also have been eating brownies. That's actually well, thinking about veggie snacks has been my or veggie sticks has been my like go to. But lately, I've also been having a brownie from Sitar Cacao. Awesome, 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 awesome brownies. They're vegan. Check them out on their site. We'll actually post a link in our uh, talk tracks later on. Cool. But loving the brownie swag right now. All right. Well, it sounds like we're all very well fed um, and eating some good snacks, which is honestly these days, what, what else could you ask for? Um, and we can jump a little bit back into why Kathleen is joining us today, which is to blow our minds with some information about fermented proteins. So, um, can you tell us a little bit more about Perfect Day? Yeah, absolutely. So Perfect Day makes ingredients that have traditionally been animal derived, but we're doing mm. it in animal free ways. Um, our mission is to change the process, not the food. So to create a kinder, greener tomorrow by developing new ways to make the foods that we love, starting in the dairy aisle. That's awesome. Um, and can you tell us a little bit more? So are you a B2C company or are you a B2B company? We are a B2B, B2B. but like yeah. we also do some B2C stuff. Um, okay, so B- we're B2B-ish. That's B2- great. We're, we're B2B. We are B2B. We're doing this with partners, but um, the B2C part comes with, with the, ed- the education that we feel we have to do um, kind of on behalf of our partners because we've awesome. been working in this space and we're doing this stuff for, mm-hmm. I guess, almost seven years. And wow. so we've learned a lot about like how to talk about it and things. And because it's such a new category, our partners may not necessarily know how to talk about it or, or what to, how to inform their customers. So we are doing this with partners. We're working with existing food companies by providing them functional ingredients, which they already know how to work with, right? Because it's just dairy protein. Um, nice. And we're collaborating on products that form a new category. So not really plant-based um, not animal derived, but a third category that we're calling animal free. And mm. we want to see a more like agile, res- resilient food system that strength that, sorry, let me back up and start again. Yeah, no worries. Take a breath. I'm, I get so excited listening to you talk. I feel like also sometimes on this podcast, my brain and my mouth just wanted to do two different things because I'm just like thinking and getting excited. So and also the one thing, the one thing I'll mention is like we mentioned, I know that you have some of the notes there, but it's a, like, you know, I was stumbling over the first beginning part. Like it's, it's just like a, it's fine. Like our listeners love having like a personal experience. So it's a good chat. Listeners, Io is speaking for you right now. <laughs> Come for him. So Perfect Day works with partners. Can you tell us um, who your partners are and like what, what space they're in? Our first partner is Brave Robot. Um, they're an animal-free ice cream brand. Um, all of our partners right now are in ice cream. Um, we're also working with Nick's Swedish ice cream, I think is their full name. Um, and they do kind of a low-carb, uh, keto-friendly ice cream, but it's mm. very creamy compared to any of the others I've tried, which is admittedly not very many because mm. I don't eat a keto diet. Um, and then we also are working with Graders, which is a, an ice cream brand out of the Midwest. I think they're based in Cincinnati. 
and they are a 150 year old company and they have wow. never nice. they have never ordered uh, uh they have never offered um a vegan or plant-based ice cream before because uh from their perspective like plant-based ice creams just they just didn't meet the the standards that they have for I've tasted some of those. I've I've had those and I can <laughs> confirm. Some of them do not meet the standards of what you want in an ice cream. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um but when I they... will say we're two huge Brave Robot fans here too. Woo-hoo! We Yeah, not this is not a sponsored podcast in any way. There's no money being exchanged, but wow, do I love Brave Robot ice cream. Cool. I'm I'm so cool. glad to hear that. <laughs> Yeah, I was just gonna say, like, I remember uh, when we were at our uh, like a retreat last year with all of our team. Kayla ordered Perfect Day ice cream, and we all came in, and we were like creeping towards it, like, "Huh, plant-based ice cream? I wonder what's the feel." And we had some of it, and it was absolutely delicious. Like, I couldn't even tell the difference. I'm like, for example, I'm lactose intolerant, and my stomach, my mind, my 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 nature was all feeling that Perfect Day. So, like, honestly, like, delicious. Yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> so that's, we've we've brought up a lot of terms here and I think that we're going to kind of have to work through this episode. It's going to be a very terminology heavy episode um, as is the nature of it, your job and my job, Kathleen. So I think that, um, I mean, this is a really exciting time that that ice cream may or may not be what, you know, kept me uh, in work with IO because I just really sweetened the spot there. Um, but before we get into that like really technical stuff, I would love to just hear more about your personal background. Um, Io and I think that people's journeys to how they got to the food space is always really fascinating, and especially with your background, um, which is more in photography, behavioral sciences. Uh, I would love to know like your journey from undergrad through grad school at Tufts um, to your current position. Yeah, so it was definitely not a linear path. Um, but there's kind of always been some, uh, like, a some themes that, like, have coursed through all of my studies and interests. So I've always had a real interest in writing and communications as ways to connect people with ideas. And I've, I've never, like, been formally trained as, like, a writer, aside from, like, what I learned in, in uh, you know, elementary school, right? But I've, totally. I've always just, like, I've journaled and, uh, you know, just like, I like to play with words. I think it's fun and challenging and sometimes makes me want to tear my hair out, but also fun. Um, So then in undergrad, I studied photography and behavioral science with an emphasis in anthropology. And through my anthropology coursework, I started to get curious about how food gets to our plate, the role that culture plays in that, how food production and procurement looks different across time and space as well as the myths and the stories that we tell ourselves around food that help kind of perpetuate those food uh, pre- prepare uh, those food preparation uh, methods and and also how food helps to per- to perpetuate culture. Yeah. No, I mean it's... that that sounds like a tongue tongue twister to me, but I loved it. And I get exactly what you're saying. Like if you think about. Like even myself, like I'm half American, half Nigerian culture, food that we eat, super being important. And it's just really interesting to see like how important and how involved that me growing up and all the food that we eat in my Nigerian side is also translated into who I am today as well. So I completely get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I started to understand that food is a lens on so many aspects of our lives, right? Like both the private Mm -hmm. and public spheres. So in private spaces, food is comfort, it's family, it's tradition, it's 
sometimes livelihood. It can even be an expression of faith. And that's like, that's both a public and private thing, right? And then in the public sphere, food touches on and, and is touched by community, policy, labor, environment, climate, economics, equity, again, livelihood, even the built environment, right? So that's totally. that's what led me to Tufts to study at the intersections of agriculture, environment, planning, and policy. Always fun to see what other alum are doing because you know when you tell people that you have this tongue twister of a degree um, from this university of dealing with a little bit of food and a little bit of this, you know people are always like, so what are you going to do with it? Hmm. Um, and I think that it's super cool to see that two of us landed in. Um, communication facing jobs and translating the science for people and really getting to work on communicating the, the stuff that we think is so interesting in the nitty gritty and seeing how we can apply it to people's daily lives, different products to that intersection of people's livelihoods and culture and enjoyment, like you mentioned. So um, just love hearing that. And how did you get from Tufts to Perfect Day now? So I was I was at Tufts and kind of studying in, in these policy heavy courses, but I also hmm. wanted to keep practicing writing and photography and exploring the ways that I could relate the things that I was learning in an accessible way. So I got involved in the Friedman Sprout, which Kayla, Kayla probably Sprout. knows what that is, um, but it's a it's basically like a largely volunteer student led publication by Tufts Friedman School students. And through that, I got a lot of experience doing like extracurricular writing and interviewing people and editing other students' work, which was super valuable. Um, and then the first article that I wrote was about this company called Moofree, which I'd recently heard about oh. randomly. And they they were making milk without cows. And some background. What? what? Yeah, I know. Wild. Um, some background on me is that I've been mostly vegetarian most of my life. Um, and that's, okay. that's primarily because of the religious community that I grew up in. And then I went vegetarian kind of for real in earnest because I had convictions to um, in 2010 for really for like environmental and animal welfare reasons. But Was I there just, a documentary that spurred something in you um, or a certain book? <laughs> it was, uh, I think it, like, like many people of my era, I guess, I think it really started with um, The Omnivore's Dilemma by Michael Pollan. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, Mine was Food Inc., so that's why I asked, because I, there's usually something that, like, conveys the imagery that just really hits you in one way or another. Um, and I think yeah. especially in the 2010s-ish, is, it was a big time for people to, like, peel back the curtain and be like, oh, crap, I have to change something. Yeah. So Omnivore's Dilemma kind of spurred my interest in food for sure. And then mm-hmm. um, what what prompted me to eventually go vegetarian was uh, Jonathan Safran Foer's Eating Animals, which is about yep. the ethics of eating animals. Um, Fantastic book. It's a great book. Yeah. He's such a good writer. Speaking of learning how to write well. Wow. Oh, yeah. 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 I like even his fiction is just so moving and like fluid. Um, but that's a sidebar. <laughs> um, I think I got us off track. <laughs> you were telling us about how you got to work with Perfect Day and you started writing. Yeah. So I, uh, I had heard about Moofree and I was, you know, I, I couldn't quite get myself to veganism, even though I, I was vegetarian by this point. Um, because, you know, like many people, I just love cheese and I, 
cottage cheese. <laughs> I knew it was going to come back around. I was like waiting for that. I was like the edge the of my seat. I was like back. cottage cheese is coming back because I know that's why you're not vegan right now. But I completely agree. I mean, I'm not vegan either. I eat fish and cheese, but uh, I mean, perfect. I own it. It's not just cottage cheese. It's exactly, all the cheeses. Exactly. All of them. France, that's, all of actually, them. Durant, that's actually Europe. America. That's actually oh, why I went vegan. That's a really <laughs> funny thing because I was a long-term vegan and I wanted to see if I could, it was like a, it was very selfish in origin, but I wanted to see if I could do it because I loved cheese so much. Um, and it was like, it was, a, it was a self-challenge. I tried to do it for a year and this is not for anybody else. I don't knock your thing at all. Like I, you know, again, no food shaming here at all. It's just funny that it's because of cheese. And for me, it's like, I was vegan because I wanted to see if I could do it. And then the whole, oh, you've been lactose intolerant since you were born thing. Once I gave it up, I was like, oh, it does make a difference. It's not, okay, well, all right, we'll see. But anyways, we keep getting sidetracked. I told you this is going to be too long because I have been wanting to talk to you for so long. So you were you were going to, you finally got to meet Moo Free. Take us there. I was kind of reading about Moo Free and through my research learned that coincidentally, I don't, I didn't know this ahead of time, but um, one of the company's founders, Ryan Pandya, he had also gone to Tufts for undergrad. <laughs> That's how they get you. That's how they get you. So I sort of cold emailed him. I played up, you know, the alumni card, like, hey, I'm at Tufts. You, you're, you're from here. Jumbo to jumbo. Jumbo to jumbo. Um, and I asked, you know, if I could ask him some questions, did the interview, wrote the piece, that was that. So a couple yes. years later, as I'm getting ready to graduate, um, with my master's, I realized that Mufri didn't seem to exist anymore, but the same people kind of doing the same things were still like popping up on my Facebook feed. And it turned out that Mufri had actually rebranded as Perfect Day. And meanwhile, like simultaneously, there were some other researchers I'd met recently, recently to then, um, <laughs> working on things like cell-based meat which is not exactly the same technology or industry, but there's significant overlap in terms of um, kind of the people in, in that space and also the objectives of that growing industry. Mm -hmm. So um, so I was like, I wanna do an update article. I'll, I'll talk a little bit about why Mufri rebranded to Perfect Day. I also reached out to um, a PhD candidate at the Tufts Department of Biomedical Engineering named Natalie Rubio. She's still there. Um, and she she was working, is working with animal cell cultures and scaffolds for growing meat without animals. So mm. I've, I also found that very interesting. I wrote this update article about the evolution of this brand new animal-free food space. And so those two articles, that very first one and that very last one, kind of bookended my time as a grad student at Tufts. And it led me to my current role at Perfect Day, even though I had no ambitions before then to move to California or to work for this crazy food tech startup. <laughs> but now I've been here almost three years. And my wow. role, yeah, it, it feels good because I don't, I haven't actually stayed in one job this long prior to like in any of my past work experience. So it feels really good to be building something here. Nice. Um, and I feel like younger me would really be so excited that present day me gets to use all my favorite, like all my interests. So like I get to use writing, I get to do photography here. I'm interested in the history and culture around food. 
and uh, I get to- And it's ice cream. And it's right ice now. cream, you, yeah. You like, deal with a lot of ice cream. That's, I mean, who wouldn't be excited about <laughs> that's, that? That's what I was waiting for. I was like, what about this ice cream part? Because that's what I would love. And I would be, every day I'd be in the fridge and be like, yo, do you have any more of this chocolate ice cream, guys? Like, we've been a little bit low on it, so. Oh my gosh. It's a good thing we're working from home right now. There, Io can just raid his own fridge. <laughs> exactly. I wish I can could- Can you even order you more ice cream? I <laughs> wish I could show you guys the inside of my freezer because at, at one point last summer, I counted all of the pints in my freezer and there was like 21 pints of ice cream oh my i mean i'm just across the bay i will i'll drive down no problem <laughs> we'll finish this interview in person um we'll distance and i'll just i'll just snag some of those pints um come on over but, okay so so we're talking about a lot of pretty heady scientific nitty-gritty concepts um i want this to be something that people can really approach and access we've talked about your partners and kind of um, broadly what Perfect Day's mission is. And so I would love to kind of back it up a little bit and introduce people to what fermented proteins are. Um, so kind of walking us through, you know, what is it? How is it made? Why is it, why is it made? Why do we need fermented proteins or why do we want them? Um, yeah, I mean, as, as much as you, as you can share without visuals and things like that. Tell us what they are. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I have so many notes, but feel free to interrupt me as I go to ask questions and things. But um, basically for most of human history, dairy from cows was an important source of protein, which, you know, as, as we know is critical to building and maintaining muscle, repairing tissue. Um, it's good for healthy cell functioning and, you know, all that good stuff. Um, but based on new-ish technology developed in the last like four to five decades, we've really gained mm. an understanding of how to produce proteins, really like theoretically any kind of protein using cell biology and fermentation. So Perfect Day has taken that technology and built on it to develop a process for making specifically dairy proteins, whey and casein, which historically have only come from, from mammals. And instead, we're making it using microflora and fermentation. And the kind of this kind of new industry is being called precision fermentation. Mm, so that's precision fermentation. So that's I love that. first I love vocab that. term. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be a quiz at the end of it. We'll uh, we'll make a fun <laughs> one for everybody. You'll get ice cream at the end of the prize. Right? Yeah. Um, so so why are we doing that? So protein is is really important. Uh, we've kind of already established that, but dairy protein is sort of a magic ingredient that gives dairy foods their characteristic flavors and textures. So unprocessed fluid milk is about, you know, roughly just a little over 3% protein. And the rest is mostly water, um, milk fat, lactose, some vitamins and minerals. But for being such a small proportion of milk, the dairy protein is really what's nutritious and functional about milk. So it offers a lot of functionality in food products. So if you've ever been disappointed in a vegan cheese <laughs> that doesn't... Oh, I have been a disappointed by many vegan cheeses. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, yeah, so vegan cheeses often don't quite melt or stretch the same way as bovine cheese. And that's because... They're made from plant proteins, which just don't offer quite the same functionality. Like plant proteins are good. They're good for some things, but they're- For plant things. For plant things, but they're not yeah. as functional in foods as dairy protein. Um, so dairy protein is really good at emulsifying fats, which is what makes 
um, products creamy. It promotes temperature stability. So a slower melt rate in an ice cream, for example, will deliver um, a more flavorful experience in your mouth. <laughs> um, and it provides structure. So when you whip cream, it gets sort of stiff and peaky. And that's, mm -hmm. you know, that's due to the protein as well. Point being, dairy proteins are really useful for doing stuff in food, yeah. which is why food makers like to work with it. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. Functionality is a, a driving factor. And I think that texture and mouthfeel is like definitely underappreciated, undervalued until you take a bite of something and you're like, oh no, there it is. That's why it's important, right? Yeah, what a great way to summarize that. <laughs> the one thing I was just going to quickly say is it's so funny. Like I keep thinking about it. Like I actually really wish I had some ice cream now. I know it's probably not the best setting, but like, holy, like this is going to be awesome. And I'm so excited to... After this, also have some ice cream for myself. Well, hopefully, I could get some perfect day because I did order some before this. So, Ooh. a brave robot, you mean? Oh, sorry, brave robot. Yeah. All right. Excited. Well, wait. Which flavor did you did you order? Like a mixed case or chocolate? Okay. Oh. All right. I see you. The chocolate is one That's a of good choice. my favorites. <laughs> I, I don't know. I love that hazelnut. Oh yeah. So I really like the hazelnut and the buttery pecan and the chocolate. Mm. They're very good. Yeah um we're gonna just keep coming back to that snack chat it always <laughs> that's all we want to do is talk about food for a reason but okay so we're making dairy protein without cows you've brought up fermentation you've said microflora we've said precision fermentation so um fermentation i think people people typically associate with foods like um maybe a kimchi or a sauerkraut or beer kombucha those types of like fermentation beverages or foods, but we're talking specifically about protein, which is a nutrient and not really a food. So mm -hmm. how do you, or tell us a little bit more about like how that microflora um, can be used to produce a dairy protein without the mammal aspect? Yeah. So you're absolutely right that uh, fermentation is typically associated with some of those like traditional fermented foods like kimchi, sauerkraut, um, things like that. And that is one type of fermentation. There's also biomass fermentation, which I don't know if you've ever had corn products, Q-U-O-R-N. Q-O-R-N, yeah. Yeah, or Marmite. So that is actually, mm -hmm. you're eating the, the protein of those microflora cells. So they're like, they're just Ooh. proliferating cells. And then that's what becomes the meat product or the, the Marmite spread. So that's, okay. a, that's biomass fermentation, which is something separate also. And then there's precision fermentation, which um, I can explain how we do it. So we start with microflora and our particular microflora is a type of fungus. It's found in nature. Um, and it's really good at like producing a lot of, of its own protein very quickly. So we give it a genetic blueprint to produce a specific protein of interest. And for us, uh, the first protein of interest that we have commercialized is uh, a whey protein. It's beta-lactoglobulin, which <laughs> is a mouth, another mouthful. Speaking um, of tongue twisters, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but what's what's most important is that this is essentially the whey portion of the curds and whey. Um, mm. We give it the, the genetic blueprint to, to make whey instead of its own protein. And then we put it in the right conditions inside of a fermentation tank to allow that blueprint to, to, to go to work, right? So it takes sugar, which is the feedstock, and it's, it's sort of feedstock 
agnostic. Like it can take <laughs> any kind of sugar and convert it into our protein. And then after that fermentation process, like kind of tapers off, um, there's no more sugar left for the, the microflora to eat. Um, the fermentation process stops. We filter out any remaining traces of the microflora itself, which contains the genetic material. Um, so that is, you know, put aside. A byproduct. It's a byproduct, yep. And we, we dry the remaining protein. It becomes like this very pure protein powder. And that's essentially the same ingredient that food manufacturers already use in their products. So they already know how to work with it. Um, and they have like the infrastructure and setup for working with it already in place. So, awesome. so food makers are very familiar with like whey protein. Um, and so it's ready to be used as an ingredient in food products. Nice. And like, let me see if I, I love to, I love whenever we're meeting with somebody, I love to repeat it back to them just to see if I understand. So if I think about it, it's kind of like the microflora, I would say it's the fungus, if I'm not mistaken, the fungus, right? Yes. It's a yeah, fungus. perfect. So I would say that it has some sort of background or genetic makeup that kind of creates the, I guess, the type of protein it's going to go about making. So let's say that's for like the whey, and then you go about putting it into a tank it has and it ingests sugars which then is converted mm -hmm. into whey and then after that you strip out all the extra microflora and then now you have the amazing thing that makes brave robot that's kind of uh yes piece, right oh, you awesome. got it that's so cool that's wow so i did cool. i where were you in all of my chem lectures throughout college oh i got you <laughs> i'm i'm like I, once i hear it once i like i can repeat it a bunch of times but I, hey uh, that's why you're the boss man <laughs> <laughs> no but that's awesome like i love i love the idea and the intersection between food and technology and that process to me is just so interesting because I don't know, but I was making kombucha a couple um, months ago and just even using like the SCOBY to then break down the sugar to then make the bubbles from making kombucha. It's just such an interesting process and it's kind of like fun to do. So there is awesome. something about seeing a chemical change occur in front of your eyes in like a, a demonstrated way. I just, yeah, I think that like food cooking or things fermenting. I mean, listen, this is the whole point of the podcast is to get nerdy, but that's a, I think it's so cool. Yeah. Um, but okay. So we're talking about this process. IO now understands it. So everyone's happy about that. Um, is it effective? And like, also I think what, what happens when, when you hear a new novel technology or process, even though it's been used traditionally in other spaces, if you bring it to a new space, um, it usually throws regular, the regulatory environment for a loop. So is the regulatory environment and even the retail environment like friendly to fermented protein products? Yeah. So I think it might be helpful to back up a little bit and explain uh, like, why are we doing this in the first place? Because we, okay. we already have whey from milk, right? So why do we need to make it this way? <laughs> um, Good point. So we know that animal agriculture especially when it's scaled in factory farms, can be damaging to the environment in terms of the land use change involved, like clear cutting forests to graze or grow feed, um, the greenhouse gas emissions associated with animal agriculture, water use, and so on. Animal agriculture is really heavily dependent on those kinds of like resource intense inputs. And right. A 2018 paper published in the journal Science found that meat, aquaculture, eggs, and dairy collectively use 83% of the world's farmland and contribute 56 to 58% of the global food system's greenhouse gases. 
This is despite only supplying 18% of total global calories and 37% of protein. So like those numbers don't quite, you know, justify each other. Right, right. So there's this growing call to reduce our collective dependence on animal agriculture to protect the planet, even as our global population is growing and we're going to have to continue to find new ways of feeding more and more people. Thomas Malthus has no place in this conversation. There's enough resources. We just have to figure out how to utilize our resources better and redistribute them effectively. Yes. Yeah. We also know that people's diets tend to shift to more toward more animal-derived foods as global incomes rise because these you know, animal foods are really nutritious and they're efficient at delivering protein. But it's really difficult to change dietary behavior. There's just so many factors like income and convenience and social pressure and marketing that drive people to want animal-derived foods. So people are unlikely to all of a sudden stop wanting familiar, tasty, nutritious, affordable animal-derived foods like dairy, even upon learning about the environmental impacts. So there's sort of this inherent conflict here. Do we prioritize the planet or do we prioritize people? And at Perfect Day, we we don't think that we should have to choose. <laughs> we yeah, don't. they're not mutually exclusive. Oh, I love that. I, ho- I was hoping you went to that because I was just thinking about like, first of all, of course, Brave Robot, but there's even a company out in um, Thailand, I think that's making um, uh, vegan shrimp. And it's yeah. like a similar process as well. And I just love the market because I mean, I love Impossible Burger, but it's it's such interesting technology that's coming out. And I think it will make a big switch because... And being, that concept yeah. of meat replacements, analogs, in quotes, whatever you want to call them, um, like that's been around for a really long time. What's new mm-hmm. is, you know, that the, the want or the need for that without the animals, actually not a super new concept to humanity, but this technology that you're doing it with is like blowing it out of the water. Yeah. So, I mean, that's super cool. That sounds like there's environmental benefits, there's personal benefits, you know, from my nutrition background, I know that there are going to be some health benefits in there um, and definitely benefits for, for the animals that, you know, are the externalities in that yeah, industrial agriculture system that we, that you just talked about a little bit. So um, thanks for backing us up to that. Cause I feel like that was super important to make sure that we, we talk about before we, we go forward a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So to answer your earlier question though, about, the regulatory environment. So we have obtained, um, so I'm not sure if you've explained to your listeners in past episodes, but the um, new new ingredients have to go through a review process with the Food and Drug Administration. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have obtained uh, no questions generally recognized as safe status from the FDA. So we sent them a bunch of materials and they basically send a letter back saying we have no questions, stamp of approval. Um, So so that's what permits us to uh, sell our animal-free whey protein. Right. So go ahead, Ayo. No, you know what's so funny? When you said you sent them a bunch of materials, did you mean ice cream or <laughs> like, let us know? Like, no, it was like documentation uh, about the ingredient and the process. Um, and they had no questions really because whey is already a commonly used ingredient and it's a component of whole milk and lots of people eat it all over the world. And then precision fermentation itself has actually been in use since the 90s to make other enzymes for food. So, so this is also not new technology. It's just 
been adapted to make new kinds of products. Um, so one really important example within the dairy industry is um, an enzyme called fermentation-produced chymosin. And that uh, that replaced something called rennet, which was originally mm. sourced from calves' stomachs. And that's a, yeah. that's a byproduct of the veal industry. And this- Which is why some cheeses aren't, weren't considered vegetarian for, for our listeners out there. Yeah, yeah. So rennet and now fermentation produced chymosin is the enzyme that coagulates milk. Um, so if you think about, you know, why it was in a calf's stomach to begin with, it's because that calf is going to drink its mother's milk and then it's going to like curdle in its stomach as it goes through the digestive process. Kind of it Makes gross. a lot of sense. <laughs> kind kind of, of gross. It makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so that's how cheese is made. It's already using these fermentation produced products. Um, fun fact, insulin is also made this way. Insulin used to be sourced from pig or cow pancreases until mm. I want to say the early seventies. Sounds right. Yeah. Even maybe even like late sixties, but we should fact check that. Um, and now, now we don't, we don't have to source it from pigs or cows, which means that um, they actually made it in E. coli. Uh, and they did it with a human insulin producing gene so that uh, patients don't have like allergic reactions to pig or cow insulin. That is so cool. Um, I mean, I, I already have, I have like 10,000 follow-up questions I want to ask you every single time you say something. Um, I think your point about grass to the generally recognized as safe process, I would love to hear your experience about that, but we might do that off camera. Um, that is something we should definitely go into later IO because I, do you, are you familiar with the grass process IO? Okay. We're going to have to go into that later because if you can explain that one back to me after a 30 second chat about it, I would be mind blown because after a master's degree in food policy and programs, I'm still pretty confused as to how that process works, but that's for another time. I would really love to get into the communications, the terminology point. Let's nail down some of these vocab words since that quiz is coming um, because you've talked a lot now about the process of how it's made. Um, and I'm really curious, you know, maybe just the nature of my job as nutrition communications, but like how people receive it and how you communicate that. And because of the unique nature of your position in your job for this company that bridges the gap between making these foods and educating the people and um, the food, you know, food industry on how to use them, um, the existing technologies that have been around the existing proteins in this new, absolutely revolutionary way. I would love to like jump in on, um, especially like that animal free term that you're using, because honestly, as somebody who has um, been following Perfect Day and Brave Robot and you personally, uh, I have started incorporating the term perfect or the term animal free. You got me on this ice cream thing, Io. That terms animal free into my language because of its specificity. I think it's like this really, really effective way to describe a diet. Whereas like with veganism, I have to go into this whole thing. I'm vegan. I actually don't eat honey. I don't even buy products that are test on animals and all this stuff. And then somebody else says that's not vegan or that's not a, that's your fake vegan or that's too vegan and vegan is this. And that's just, there's a lot of hubbub. It's important. Those conversations are for another time, but especially in the food space, that distinction of an animal free diet is like super helpful. So, um, yeah. Can you tell us about why you chose that? And, and like, again, kind of how the regulatory language and the framework of industry standards and consumer perception 
like has reacted to that type of messaging. Co-founders' aspirations and struggles to go vegan are really where it all began. Um, so we started as we started to talk about our products and technology. Obviously, we used the term vegan because there are no animal inputs anywhere in the process. So that felt natural to us in our messaging. But then as our audiences grew and we began to dialogue with an even broader community, we started to see a lot of resistance to the, using the word vegan. And some of it is for the reasons that you mentioned, Kayla. Um, you know, some, not all, but some vegans are turned off by the idea of dairy proteins in their food at all, even if they're made in a vegan way. And that's fine. You know, we acknowledge that products made with our protein might not be for everyone. But importantly, I, with me, that gatekeeping is not fine. I'm going to say that for any vegans out there listening right now, the gatekeeping in the community is annoying. So let's let's cut that out. Let people <laughs> eat what they want to eat. Okay, continue. So importantly, we did start hearing from people in the allergy community that mm. really do look for that vegan label to identify products that are safe for themselves and their families. Because, of course, milk protein is one of the top eight allergens in the U.S. Uh, well, mm -hmm. probably in the world, but top eight is yeah. like a, a U.S. specific term, I think. I'm Soon not sure. Soon to be nine. It is. It's Soon big to eight. Be nine. Soon to be nine. So we'll say eight-ish. Eight, eight-ish. There are, are eight-ish, almost nine um, mm -hmm. primary allergens that, uh, you know, most people who have an aller a food allergy are, they'll react to one or more of those. And milk is among those. So we're making the exact same protein that you'd find in cow's milk, just without cows. And we, you know, we heard this feedback from the allergy community and we started to think, huh, like we don't want to mislead anybody. We do want shoppers to be informed that this is real dairy and it isn't from cows, but we also need to be mindful of how consumers rely on labels and information about products to make informed decisions. And it was clear that the word vegan communicated to the milk allergy community that our products would be safe for them, and they won't. Right. So our our product, unfortunately, I do have to get, keep this one. Our products yeah. are not for people with milk allergy. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And it's, I mean, you want the benefits of that that analog, the protein analog, which is it'll give you that functionality, that stability for the texture and that mouthfeel that we love. Um, but it also means that your body doesn't see a difference in the animal derived or plant derived protein of, of dairy or whey. So it's going to have the same reaction. If you're allergic to whey, no matter where it comes from, you're going to be allergic to whey. But the benefit in this is that it's lactose free, right? It is lactose free. So lactose is okay. a milk sugar. It's the sugar that's naturally found in milk. Um, and our process does not produce sugar. It, it converts sugar and produces exactly. protein. So, there's so it's technically vegan, but not allergy friendly. So we have a dairy allergen, um, but it is lactose free. So it's lactose intolerant friendly. Yep. Um, I mean, it's Kayla friendly, so that's really all I care about, <laughs> but okay. So by law, you, in, in my knowledge of, of regulation, you can't call it you can't call this product milk. That is another really gate-capped community is the uh, the dairy lobby. Oh, wow. Um, is it ever? <laughs> yeah. I've got to be careful saying that on a public forum. But um, so so it's not milk, but it is milk enough, right? So how do you how do you walk that line? Yeah, this is this is a really tricky line to walk and we're we're doing it. Um, <laughs> so foods are defined by the U.S. Code of Federal Regulations, which is this 
I, I think I, you guys talked about it on an earlier yeah, episode, but this like gigantic legal document that's that identifies all of these different standards of identity for food. And AKA the bane of Kayla's existence. <laughs> <laughs> so when it was written, products made with uh, through per- precision fermentation just hadn't been conceived of yet, right? And the code states that milk is defined as the lacteal secretion obtained by milking one or more healthy cows. So, I love that. <laughs> so yeah, lacteal secretion. Not sheep, not goat. I think there is. Uh, I think there is like a, a sub different standards of something. identity. Yeah, <laughs> but milk in general has to come from a, a bovine lacteal secretion. Yeah, yeah. I, I do think that there are some like sub points in that document yeah. that, that um, allow for like goat milk and sheep milk and stuff. But but the gatekeeping that is being done to products that are produced like yours is is technically they, they fall back on that singular definition. Yeah. Um, if anybody wants to go out there and fact check us, I encourage you to read the CFR. Yeah, um, it's accessible. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great document. <laughs> well, yeah, so uh, so we can't call it milk um, by law, but we do have to call out that, hey, this this product doesn't come from milk, but it does contain a mil- milk allergen, which by the way, disclaiming that is also required by law. So that's per mm. the Food Allergen Labeling and Consumer Protection Act or FALCPA. FALCPA. <laughs> FALCPA. Um, and that's the reason when you like flip over any any food package, you'll see underneath the ingredients, there's this kind of bolded word that says contains followed by a list of allergens in the product. So it would be contains milk or contains wheat, contains eggs. So to summarize, by law, we can't call it milk, but by law, we also must call it milk. What a conundrum. (laughs) (laughs) I actually love that because I just think about it like, it's like, it really makes it so that you have to be creative. Like you said, also listen to your customers and even though it does seem like a very difficult kind of problem to understand, like how to call it, I definitely think that listening to your customers and figuring out like, well, how would you like us to call it? Or, Hey, you know, how does it meet your needs? It really gets down to that connecting to the customer. And that's Mm -hmm. why I think it's like such an interesting, interesting, interesting space. Cause I love that when you look at a product and you really understand automatically if it meets your needs, it's like perfect because like what's natural like i don't know like what is natural product but i think that you know animal derived or um um having a whey protein that's not animal derived that's animal free it's animal free kind of vegan but has this allergen involved it's perfect because i know exactly if i can eat it or not and i'll enjoy it yeah so you can Um, you can see how tricky this is (laughs) Oh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't envy uh, your position, but I think it's, I think I was right. It's cool. It forced you to get creative. And I think that, you know, this, this use of the term animal free, which again, I've started using and spread around a little bit, but we'll always credit back to hearing it from um, perfect day, especially from you and your writing first. Um, you know, that's, I think that's a brilliant term and it, it really gets to the specifics and it gets people talking about that, which is honestly more effective is to kind of get rid of the marketing language and, and how it sells and really focus on communicating what it is, which I think is why you and I um, are in our jobs. So um, comms person to comms person would love to wrap up. Um, Again, I could talk to you literally all day. Um, We might have to do like a part two to the podcast, but (laughs) I would just 
really be eager to hear what your terminology uh, like pet peeves are. And we can talk about it in a respectful way, but like, you know, I've read through your very extensive FAQ section. I know you're working on this really amazing knowledge base, which will be out um, when this podcast launches. So we can share about that. Um, you have a ton of resources on the Perfect Day website that go way more specific into a lot of what we've talked about here, but like, you've got to get tired of explaining something. So like, I hate when people call animal derived foods, like quote, real. I was reading a Mother Jones article the other day that said, sure, tech enhanced, hyper-realistic fake meat hasn't been around long enough for any definitive judgment of its efficacy. And I was like, hyper-realistic fake meat. Like, what are we talking? Stop calling food real and food fake. The only like fake mm-hmm. food is what Plankton eats in SpongeBob, which is just holographic food. That is the <laughs> fake food. Anything that you can eat is real food, right? So like, yeah. what is, what are your pet peeves with terminology? Okay, I have two really big ones. The first one- Hit us with it. <laughs> the first one is the word chemicals, as in, I don't want any of those chemicals in my food. <laughs> <laughs> Um, this really bugs me because everything is chemicals. Everything oh, yeah. is chemicals. My body is a bag of chemicals. Um, I, wow, I do. Speaking of things that should go on a t-shirt, that has <laughs> got to go on a t-shirt. I mean, my body is a bag of chemicals. My body is a bag of chemicals. Yeah, I, I do think that there's room to talk about specific ingredients. What, what are they? How is it made? How is it derived? Are they safe? How are they meant to be used? There's mm-hmm. like a chemical might be safe for some uses or at some volume, but not others, right? So there's definitely a place for those conversations. But if we're going to talk about chemicals, let's get specific because because chemicals aren't necessarily bad. Water is a chemical. Water is a great chemical. Snaps for that. No chemophobia on this podcast. Okay. So what's your second one? Sorry, I had to take a sip of my water. Chemicals. Are you drinking chemicals? I, on this drinking, I am drinking chemicals right in front of your face. I absolutely love that. <laughs> um, All right, so number two. Similarly to your pet peeve with the word real, which is also a pet peeve of mine, but the real word food. the word natural. So Ugh. knowing <laughs> what I know about agriculture, there's nothing inherently natural about it doesn't make sense. The way we produce really any agricultural product. Um, tomatoes were once just like teeny berries that grew only in the highest peaks of the Andes mountains, right? Corn used to be just like a much smaller wild grass and it didn't have the big gigantic sweet yellow ears that we're used to eating. These products have been bred for beneficial traits. Like over time, pretty much every agricultural product that we eat today, including animals that we eat, are the result of human intervention. And on the flip side of that, there's this really wonderful quote by an historian named Yuval Noah Harari. He writes mm. in his book, Sapiens, that whatever is possible is by definition also natural. So I'm going to say it again because I just love it so much. Whatever is possible is by definition also natural. Oh, I, love I love and I love that book too. So it's interesting. Downstairs on my coffee table. <laughs> Such yes. a good book. Yeah. So the context for that quote was actually um, he was talking about this unfortunately pervasive idea among some people um, that people who identify as LGBT are somehow unnatural or acting upon mm-hmm. unnatural impulses. Which you know, in the book, it's clear that he disagreed with that perspective. But I think more broadly, he was pointing out that humans and human endeavors are not separate from nature. 
Like mm. animals, I mean, uh, humans are animals. And something that truly goes along, uh, sorry, let me back up. Something that truly goes against the laws of nature, it it doesn't exist. Like Yeah, it couldn't happen. It goes against the laws of nature. And and therefore it doesn't need prohibition, right? So I, I think that's really beautiful that everything that is possible is also natural. And by the same token, what we consider natural isn't truly defined by bright lines, right? It's fuzzy. I love yeah. that. I love Absolutely. That. Uh, I think that is a wonderful place for us to stop or uh, we'll just have to go for another few hours. So um, <laughs> thank you so much for your time on that, Kathleen. This is an absolutely brilliant, brilliant um, discussion. And I, I'm so happy to that you um, ended us off with a quote from a book and that we can all talk about because it's a great transition to our segment um, which is the Goodreads segment. And this Goodreads segment started because uh, I read a lot and I share a lot. And then Io decided it just needed to be a Slack channel for our entire team. So mm -hmm. um, our whole team just shares what we call Goodreads, which are articles that are relevant or helpful or stories, news, media um, that are you know really helpful in uh, contributing to our understanding of the food space. So Io, do you have any Goodreads for us? Um, the Lean Startup, love hmm. that book. It's like literally, I think like, you know, some people have the Bible, I have the, I have the, I have the lean wow. startup. So that's like one of the things I really love. And also I've been reading, um, actually it's pretty interesting, weird enough, but I've also been reading a lot of news from New York Times again. I kind of got off of it for a second just to kind of get my head in the right space because everything's always going on, but mm -hmm. went back on that, loving it. And uh, yeah, just those two things, lean startup and uh a lot of New York Times, New York. Okay, Times. good to know. Kathleen, um, you you gave us the Sapiens recommendation. Um, are there any other books lately that you've been reading that you that you really love? Doesn't even have to be for work. Yeah, so I I do want to take this opportunity also to plug the Perfect Day Knowledge Base, which we didn't get yeah. into a whole month, a whole lot, but um, we've we've tried to build out. Sorry, we've tried to build out kind of a core curriculum, if you will, um, for people on our website looking to learn more about what animal-free dairy is, some of our terminology, how the process works. Um, so it's a study to, guide for the quiz. Yeah, it's a study guide for the quiz that's coming right after this. <laughs> Get um, ready. And that actually just launched today. So by the time this airs, you know, it'll have been up for a little while and you can go check out the articles there. Um, but in terms of That's books, so exciting. yeah, I'm, I'm really proud of, I'm really proud of our team's work on that. Cause we worked on, on getting that ready for a few months now. Uh, so it feels yeah, good. I'm, that'll be my Goodreads recommendation for the next podcast. Cause I'm very excited <laughs> to get into the public facing articles that you're putting out, but, cool. um, yeah, give us your other books. Yeah. So along with, uh, Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari, he's also written a book called Homo Deus, a brief history of tomorrow. And that's, um, more about like futurism and what's possible for the future of humanity. And it's, I'm, I'm going through it right now and it's very interesting. Um, but another author who has informed a lot of my thinking about animal agriculture, we already mentioned his name too, is Jonathan Safran Foer. Um, mm -hmm. So eating animals is what prompted me to go vegetarian back in 2010. So I'm 11 years in now. Wow. That's <laughs> Ooh, yikes. Time passes. Oh God, yeah. Celebrate with some ice cream. <laughs> um, but more recently, he's uh, he wrote a book in 2019 called "We Are the Weather: Saving the Planet mm -hmm. Begins at Breakfast," 
And it's, uh, it's a much deeper dive on animal agriculture's impact on climate specifically. Um, highly recommend, you know, everything that he writes. Like I said, I also yeah. love his fiction. Um, but those two books, Eating Animals and We Are the Weather, have really had a, a big impact on me. Yeah, that's awesome. Those are very impactful books. And we really can't ignore the uh, the climate change aspect of any of this to the environmental impacts. Um, I actually just, just finished up last night uh, Animal Vegetable Junk by Mark Bittman. And mm. I've been talking about it like kind of nonstop on my Instagram because it if like I could summarize my degree in human biology, my fascination with evolutionary biology and bioanthropology, and then also my master's degree, um, it would be basically this book. I'm not like, there are some aspects of it that I, I don't love, but overall, I think it's an incredible look at um, kind of how we got into this mess that we call the food system. Um, yeah. It takes us through the evolution of it. It does take a really intersectional lens and is he, Mark Bittman is not shy from discussing um, the overt racism and the barriers that we've put in place in our food systems and a lot of the inequities that we've created. Um, and, you know, it goes back to this idea that like food is a human right and mm -hmm. that we should be, we owe it to ourselves to be doing better than we're doing right now. And I, I just, again, I love his writing and the way that he presents it. And then within the book, like he recommends every other page basically is like, I'm highlighting for more recommendations for other authors and other books. Um, so I think that that is a wonderful read. I think it just came out this year. He's, he's writing some of it in, in July, 2020. You can tell because he has some, um, <laughs> commentary about the sitting president at the time. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, Animal Vegetable Junk by Mark Bittman. Um, if you've read this, send me an email, uh, Kayla at foodspacetech.com because I would love to discuss it with you and have our own little book club. So and also I was going to say, I'm not going to say my address now, but uh, Kathleen, after this, let's have a little chat because uh, I'll give you my address. Maybe I can get some bravery uh -huh. about ice cream later <laughs> on. But, uh, <laughs> That's my Honestly. little plug at the end. You know I had to. It was going to come at the end. But nah, like um, checking out the site right now after this and, uh, you know, going to get my second order in. But it was so good <laughs> learning about Perfect Day and what, what your work is. like. And I really appreciate you being on the show. Yeah, well, I'm so happy to be here. I don't often get to chat about all of these things in at That's the same the time and place. And this is really fun. Thank you. Thank Anytime, you for making it such an easy process. Come on. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Kathleen. Um, we'll talk to you later. And thank you for your contribution to the science communicator community. Sure. Of course. Yeah. Ayo, you want to you wanna wrap us up? Uh, let's see. What am I going to do today? Let's see. They've been trying to get me to say a little jingle. Maybe it'll be today. You made up the jingle. We're not trying to get you Food to say space. it. You... Food space is the top podcast. <laughs> I sort of got every single time I'm going to give a new one. So hopefully we'll get down to it by uh, next season to one that we use more often. Or it might just continue it off. But Food Space is the top podcast. You heard it here first. So make sure <laughs> you are subscribing um, wherever you're listening to it now. Please leave us a review. You can hit us up on Instagram at Food Space Pod. Um, Basically, you know, we're just here to have some more passionate conversations and learn more about the food space in general. So, um, yeah, Food Space is the top podcast. You heard it here, folks. <laughs> <laughs>